0: Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human Podcast, where the human manager Mark Labasque features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive.
1: Hey there, it's Mark LeBusque for the Simply Practical Human podcast. And in this episode today, I'm joined from uh, all the way over in the US by Ray Jamay, who is the founder and owner of the Ray of Hope Collective and had spent a lot of time in the space of OD and these days a master facilitator. And she'll speak a little bit about the new um, business she's just founded and she started up, which uh, sounds really exciting. I really wanted to get Ray on. To the uh, podcast, we had connected a couple of years ago, but we really started to connect uh, at a deeper level back in about March this year when uh, Ray started to join my Zoom room provocation of a of a Thursday afternoon here in Oz and late on a Wednesday evening in the US, and um, just to the point where. I really appreciated that that Ray reached out to me and gave me a bit of feedback on maybe trying some different things where we got to the point where Ray hosted one and and really changed up the way that we did things. And I, I think in some respects gave me the opportunity to understand the possibilities and the power that could be within that podcast. And today, I guess I got Ray on to talk about some of these ideas that we get caught up with around particularly that everything's a problem. And Ray will speak a bit about maybe starting to reframe that or reimagining that in another way and and why we find it hard to step out of wanting to be problem solvers, more so than wanting to become what she talks about as opportunity explorers. She has a really, really great story about how she saw herself as a virus within an organization, whereas her one of her friends said, you're not the virus, you're the probiotic. And we'll share some definitions of what probiotics and viruses mean. And from an all context, Ray will share some um, pretty amazing stories of uh, what this means. Her three simple and practical tools and tips to help you to move from everything's a problem to opportunity creation and, and using some of her own experiences, both from an organisational and personal perspective of how she's been able to navigate her way to thinking differently, her geekiness as she calls it, and how she's used her geekiness to explore a whole lot of different ways that have really come to a, I'm going to say, a bit of an intersection of, of the great work that Ray does today. I loved also today that she challenges me, and uh, I won't spoil too much on that, but we'll certainly talk about it at the end of the episode. This was a fascinating conversation. Ray is a fascinating human being, and I think you really enjoy. So as I say, sit back, take some notes on whatever device you do, that pen and paper or on your tablet, and uh, we'll catch you at the end. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Ray Jermay, who is The founder and owner of Ray of Hope Collective and an OD people strategist, facilitator and change agent. Ray, thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me, Mark. I've been looking
1: forward to this. Yes, so have I. I've been looking forward to it and also a little bit of trepidation because one of the things I love about you is you said to me, I think I'm going to challenge you on your idea of simple and complex. And every night when I've been heading off to bed, I, I keep hearing those words. So let's see where we go today. I think it's a great thing that we don't always always agree on things. So I'm looking forward to that. So I always like to go to the connection piece first, because as my listeners will know that I'm very big on building these connections and and how they happen. So your recollection of how we connected would, uh, would be a great place to start.
0: Well, I had to kind of look it up and figure it out a little bit. We connected on LinkedIn casually a little over two years ago. And I had to kind of run by you and actually ask, so how do we actually have that global connection? Because you're in Australia, I'm in the States. And so uh, Mike DeConte is where we figured out our connection was the initial time we connected. And then most recently in March, I was introduced to your Zoom room provocation group and started joining those conversations. And that's where our real forged connection started to happen. And it's
1: been a pleasure to be part of that group and be part of those thought leaders, as well as you. Uh, thank you. And, you know, Mike Ficardi, what a what a great human. I recall speaking at his Humans First chapter that he ran in New York way back. I think it might have been 2019 or maybe 2018. And he's done some amazing work. And, and Andrew Thomas is always just great fun. What I also liked that uh, we spoke a bit, a little bit, before we started the, the recording was that we connected a couple of years ago but it's taken us a little bit of time to really form that connection. I think there's something in that as well. We shouldn't feel like we have to just go for it straight away. We, it, we let it play out and then, you know, what happens to the point where you actually hosted one of the Zoom Room provocations. And that was amazing because one of the things I loved about it was how you changed up what we did. So I wanted to say thank you for that.
0: Well, Thank you for that feedback. And it was uh, I was also a little trepidatious about uh, running the Zoom room, to be honest. But uh, it was great fun. And I love the fact that you're approachable and open to having others be a part of the conversations and you're not. You don't have to be the expert and the leader in everything. And as to the connections, I think there's a beauty in letting the energies find us. And when we find the right resonance or the right kind of vibrations, we start to attract to each other. And I love that it wasn't a forced, transactional connection. It's actually a human to human connection that's forming, and that's what I'm all about, and what I've been seeking all my life is those human to human connections.
1: I love it, and um, you know, there there is there's so many lessons in that our ability to just let it sit for a while. And not have to be doing things, but waiting for it to to find its way. And I think that connection has found its way very, very uh, beautifully as as we've started to get to know each other. Um, today we're going to get into a whole lot of different things. We're going to we're going to talk about probiotics and viruses. We're going to talk about problem solving and opportunity creation. And, and and you're going to share with our, the listeners some of your your, your backstory and, and sort of how you've got to start to think about things in the way you do. Because one of the things I've found with you is you have a very, very different way of thinking and approaching things, which is one of the things that's really attracted me to you. So let's kick off with let's build some more connection with you and the audience. Is Tell us a bit about your, your backstory, like where you grew up and, and, and some things that have influenced you along the way in your formative years to get you to where you are today.
0: Sure. I've been thinking about this a lot because there's so many facets and this has actually probably been the question I've thought the most on, especially listening to your other guests. So my background, I grew up, I was born and raised in Minnesota, USA, just outside of Minneapolis. I lived there until I graduated from high school. So I just barely turned 18 at that point, And I left uh, the state. I knew by the time I was seven or eight years old that I would not live in Minnesota. I wanted to go elsewhere. I was the first generation college student in my family and I did it on my own and left to come to Washington State, Tacoma, Washington. Uh, sight unseen, I didn't get to tour any colleges I didn't get to actually visit them. I just sent out applications to where I could afford to. I actually was applying in secret to colleges because I was born into a family that was actually not a safe family. So unlike so many people who can talk about very ideal, like growing up and loving, uh, holding communities of their family, you've kind of touched on like, Ray, there's something about your life that speaks to me that there's something there. And so I was born into a family that was steeped in violence, all forms of violence that you can experience. And by the time I was two, three years old, I was managing that violence in the family. And by the time I was four and five, I was actually the one kind of doing the adulting in the home. So I never really got to be a kid in the sense that a lot of children, lots of friends to hang out with and play. And there wasn't much support or intervention in the situation. And it was really, really very traumatic. And I don't want to get into too many details there because I don't want to trigger people. But I faced life and death multiple times at the hands of my own family members. That's Mm. how extreme it was. Wow. And so for me to be alive, I shouldn't be. And the person I am, I shouldn't be. I should not have been somebody who graduated high school. I'm not somebody who should have gotten to college. I should have, on the path I was raised in, I should have actually been, you know, in drugs, in alcohol, abusive relationships, trafficked, those sorts of dynamics. And instead I fought like hell secretively to get out. And I have to say that the way that that happened was through schooling and through a a very important teacher who was part of my life in the third grade through the eighth grade. And she she really set me up for fighting for my life through academics and through
1: schooling. Wow, what a, what a story. And, you know, things that I have not heard you talk about before. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And it, it gives me a really, even a deeper understanding of why you are like you are. Because, you know, I, I find you to be such a fascinating human being and that's filled in a whole lot more of the Ray story that I think as listeners are hearing that as well, um, we'll be like, wow, so look, that's such a vulnerable share, and I, I appreciate it.
0: Could I share just a little bit more? You can share as much as you story. like. Okay. I also just want to say that, you know, I'm a geek at heart, so I love to learn, love to explore. So I geek out on neurology, quantum physics, psychology, personal growth, team dynamics, teaching, those sorts of things. But not only was my youth very challenging, but I've actually faced multiple challenges as an adult as well. So with the work that I've been in, which is training and development and people side of work for over 20 years, I actually have lost my job through um, layoffs four different times. I've actually been homeless three different times. The last time I was literally in the car with what could fit in the car and the dog And I've also gone through legal systems in this process of my life three different times where I was supposed to be the one that the legal system stood up for. And in fact, it failed me tremendously. So there's been a lot of things that I've been the underdog in, in my life. And it led me to actually change my last name back in 2016. And I'd been trying to find a new last name for a long time. And I landed on that I wanted to go with a name that meant hope.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's where I found Umay. Uh, it's an ancient Turkish, Mongolian, Indian territory name, very ancient, meaning hope. So I actually claimed hope as my name. So when you say Ray May, it's actually Ray of Hope. I love and it. that's because I want to embody and embrace hope, which has kept me alive and going in my life. But I also want to extend that out energetically and in everything that I do in the world.
1: Again, such powerful uh, shares. Thanks for sharing. As you were talking and I was like, I was sitting here going, in my mind I was hearing that makes sense. As you were talking about the geek bit, I geek out and I'm like, now I understand how many different angles you come from when when we're talking or when you're in the Zoom room or something or when you do something. It's like, how does she even think of that stuff? How does she tie that into here, to there, to, to everywhere. And it's um, it's making so much more sense to me now. And again, you know, your ability to or everything you've said so far is to work through the pain and the suffering. And I know we've talked before about human suffering is something that we don't want to spend a lot of time in, but it is something that helps us to become what we are today. And I, I really get that sense that you've suffered, but you've also been able to use it in a way to not only help yourself, but I also know help others so it's just amazing that you see that as you were speaking i was getting bloody goosebumps before and i'm like here's here's some things that i didn't know so so thank you
0: yeah it's not often that i get an opportunity to share and it's not often that i found people who are willing to receive me typically the response has been that it touches on deep deep fears inside of individuals and they they shut me out or they turn away as if i'm somehow repulsive and scary And when in fact, I'm kind of a beacon of light when you look at my survival and what I've been able to go through. And as to that geek and that connection to the geek, I have to give credit to that teacher again from the third through the eighth grade, because she was the science teacher, the art teacher, and the religion teacher in a Catholic school from the sixth through the eighth grade. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm kind of a curious artist scientist. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Ray, how many of us have been impacted by role model teachers? I, I know myself very much. Um, my physical education teacher was a, a significant role model, which sent me down the path of becoming a physical education teacher as in, in an early part of my life. I think that um, those sorts of role models in our early days are really important, but I also think in, in a in a corporate sense, in an organisational sense, when we can find them, they're, they're like gold nuggets as well. Let's get into this problem-solving opportunity creation probiotics virus piece which I'm really really uh, looking forward to so we sort of talked about the probiotics how do we how do we end up with more probiotics in an organizational sense and perhaps less of the virus situation and you sort of set me off on a path of looking for some definitions, which I might just quickly read out. And um, please do the probiotics definition that I found was something a substance that stimulates the growth of microorganisms, especially those with beneficial properties. Um, and then I went to the virus one. And look, as I tell people, I always do, I'll always look for things that help me to to, to champion my cause and my argument. So I actually put two definitions together here. One relating viruses to that sort of computer virus and the other one more biological, which says a virus is a piece of code which is capable of copying itself and typically has a detrimental effect such as corrupting systems, and it can infect all types of life forms. So what I'd love you to do is just share a little bit about how is this sort of come about for you thinking about some an organizational perspective of viruses and probiotics. What's What's been going on there for you?
0: Well, it started about two decades ago. So I started getting into training and development in the human development side of business, which is where I'd always been called. I thought originally I'd become a teacher and then I wanted to expand that out in the work world. And it was interesting being in those training and development roles because number one, oftentimes those departments were treated as the order takers that somebody else created a solution, and said you must go and fix this through what we've deemed as the appropriate intervention. And oftentimes those interventions and those steps actually cause far more problems than they actually solve. And it just started creating this vicious cycle that was very frustrating. And because of my background, where I actually started working at the age of 11 uh, to support myself, and I've worked in service industry, I've worked in operations industries and I've worked in highly controlled, regulated systems. One of the things is I would always bring that human element into whatever I did that, hey, I've been that person who was the underdog. I've been the person who says, do this work. And I know that people are the critical components to getting anything done. And so I always kind of did this work that was a little counterintuitive to the business. And that was going out to the people who were actually impacted by the problem and finding out what they were experiencing and what they were dealing with. However, because I was doing that, that would become discomforting for those who are in those leadership solutioning roles. And so oftentimes the business would claim that it wanted the change, that it needed the change, but the system wasn't really ready for it. So by the mere fact of me going out there and asking the questions and getting people involved, The energy started to shift in the business and the business started to say, this is uncomfortable. We don't like this. This feels weird. And so where's the problem coming on? And generally it would be targeted at me. And so I feel like the white blood cells of the body were coming after me to kill the virus. And in my experience, I've been laid off four different times as that disturbance in the field. So I was talking about this idea of the virus in the last full-time position that I had as a global organizational development manager who was tasked with changing and fixing onboarding for the entire organization's experience that had never been able to be done before. So we need you to come in, we need you to design it, we need you to design it in a way that's never been done before, create a universal application that can work across different businesses, And doesn't impact them, but we need like this transformational change. And as I was doing that, there were three or four different leadership groups that were starting to triangulate around me. And that they wanted the change, but they didn't understand it and they weren't participating with me in it. And they had the solution in mind, but I was doing it in a different way than that they ever experienced, as they told me to do. So they started to really close in on me and cause some real toxic experiences. So I was sharing this virus idea with my coworker and that just the fact that I was there, was causing dismiss. So they wanted to like kill the foreign invader. And my coworker, Rocky, he said, you are not a virus. What you do and the work you do is you're probiotic. And that changed for me how I wanted to always relate with people how my work is and what I do and that we're trying to actually multiply and grow this beneficial concept of enabling and empower humans and the human system to design the solution that will work for the whole system so that we should be growing it we should be fertilizing it we should be feeding that system and if I can tell people that it's going to feel uncomfortable at first when you plant probiotics it hopefully, it will allow the system to be
1: better able to say we can handle some of the discomfort for the sake of the benefits and the health and wellness that we're going to experience later on. What a great story! What a great thought from Rocky, as, as just yes. getting you to look at it in a different way. I am fascinated when I spoke with Colin Newland in the episode about the decrapification of work. We got into this point of sometimes the very people who say they want change and transformation are the very ones that don't want anything to change at all. And and what you've just described there, uh, you know, a very real example of it is three or four different groups all championing change and transformation, but at the same time resisting it because of the approach that you took. What was driving this fear, do you think, of a different way of approaching this for these groups? Well, I think
0: number one, In so many organizations, especially longer term entrenched organizations where there's been a structure of promotion and and being elevated to revered and lionized positions, i.e. the CEO, the VP of this group, the VP of that group. There's a certain kind of protocol where you don't jump the chain of command (laughs) and the way that I work says that the entire chain is valid, is valid and important. And oftentimes when those people have been promoted to those top levels in this chain of command structure, my experience is that they've been relied on as always being the ones that have, have the answer to everything. And they've gotten away with the control and command style of leadership, where they're just rapid fire, late, making decisions, commanding to people, and the hell with what the long-term consequences, unintended consequences are. It's a fast solution that they get glorified for. And if it works, they take all the credit. And if it doesn't work, then it's the underlings that they commanded who are at fault who get to be you know, thrown off the boat or yep. axed. Yep. And so I think it's a lot to do with our MBA program. don't really teach a lot other outside of the command and control director leadership style. Our MBA programs also don't look at human dynamics Mm. and they don't look at systems thinking. And I think that's an opportunity for a different way that our MBAs, because those MBAs tend to be the ones who get the, you know, CEO positions and the C-suite positions. So I think that's why that happens.
1: Yeah, we we could actually do an episode on the the good and the bad of the MBA. I I think there would be an absolute, uh, I, I recall speaking to, um, Verbeke van Budzgaard from, I think it's Denmark, I may be wrong, but she was on the podcast and she talked about working, she's actually teaching an MBA class, and she asked them a simple question about how could you find out more about your people in your business? And she said they all went straight to their textbooks and started flicking through them, and no one came up with the answer, which was just talk to them a bit more. (laughs) So Manage by
0: walking around, as Tom Peters says you know, and he said it 30 years ago. Absolutely.
1: Managed by walking around, building deeper connection. I like to call it listen and learn.
0: Humility. I think that's also have the humility. and know that the experts and the wisdom lands inside your system. You don't need to have all the answers. The system has the answers for you.
1: And you've given me a beautiful segue into... I guess maybe the psyche of these people who end up getting into these these roles, these big roles, the big CEO roles and the presidents and VPs and all these things that one of the reasons that they get there, they're technically good at what they do. And part of that let's call it that being technically good piece, is that they seem to be very good at identifying problems and then either doing it themselves or bringing others in is solving them and, you know, maybe most of the time taking the credit. So let's now get into this area of problem solving versus opportunity creation. And I know that this is something that's near and dear to you about getting people to start to reimagine what we could do in organisations if we moved away from what you've called before, which I love, is everything is a problem to something else. So Perhaps share a little bit about that, and then I'm going to get you to share some simple and practical tools and tips to to help humans to get to there.
0: Sure. Uh, At first, I want to share the quote from Albert Einstein on on problems. I think that helped everybody get a little grounded by a brilliant brilliant man, and that is, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them.
1: Yeah. Love it. And
0: so it's, it's astonishing to me that the go-to lens, the go-to default is always, so we've got a problem, we need to fix the problem, let's solve the problem. And for me, when you're focused and your perspective is always about the problem, you will always be solving into the problem and you always stay in the problem. And so if you think about like a kaleidoscope, the old kaleidoscopes that you would actually spin and look into and you could hear like crystals click but you turn it by just a slight degree and the entire image changes and you have a whole new picture in front of you. And that's where I really focus on shifting from problem into what's the opportunity. And that's something that appreciative inquiry really falls aligns with. Design thinking goes there, whole system thinking. There's several different methodologies, but appreciative inquiry really goes with simple, brilliant solution, which is what's your best possible future state. So if you can start going into that conversation and that imagining, imagine as if it's real. Then all of a sudden, you've created a whole new realm of possibility and a whole new realm of creativity. And then go back to look at what's the current reality? What's our current state? And then you can design the steps that start to move you, milestones and steps and roadmaps that move you from current state to future best possibility. And when you start shifting just that one little degree, it opens up the invite to everybody to contribute, for everybody to participate in creating and designing. And it plays into each person's core desire, which is what's in it for me yeah the with them yeah if i can tie you into the with them now you're part of the design of that future state you inherently are pulled in that direction regardless of what's going on and if we all have a unified course that we're navigating towards whether it's the north or the polaris star depending on which hemisphere in the world you're in if we're all aligned to that north star or polaris star we will inherently start to be pulled there and we don't have to fight our way there. It will actually start to navigate there naturally. So that's really where I go with this idea of the opportunity and get the hell out of the problem. Yeah. You can't see the forest for the trees. Literally when you're in the problem, you can't see the tree for the bark.
1: Yep. Yep, A couple of things come to mind here for me, and this is where we start to spin off into whatever other world. This is off script now. Um, <laughs> being a, a student of adaptive leadership, as I am, what's come to mind when you were talking about problem versus opportunity, and I love appreciative inquiry as well, is that perhaps when we live in the world of problems, we get to stay where we're safe, which is about using historical technical fixes yeah. to continue to make us look like the smartest person in the room or whatever it is. And, and I totally get that with humans because status is important to us. Hierarchy status is critical to us. We, we want to continue to shift up. But there's something there that's really stifling people if they keep in what we call that sort of technical fix mode. What I think you're explaining beautifully here is the opportunity to move into that sort of adaptive challenge, which is starting to think about a change of our values, beliefs, and behaviours, and the way that we look at the world. And I love when you used the term reimagine, because I think we use too much of redesign and rethink and re-establish, but what if we started to reimagine? So I wanted to ask you this question, this need for us to place safe in this technical space of what we know, how much is that an impediment on moving into this world that you're talking about for managers?
0: I think it's one of the biggest impediments there is. And I think it's so hard to break it. I've been thinking about this in case this question came up. I think it's so hard to break it because it creates a false sense of control in our world. And that somehow we can feed our egoic selves, that we're in control and that we can design and create predictable outcomes when it involves people. And I think it boils down to the love affair with the scientific method, the experts, the predictors, the mechanical view of the world that started to really emerge with the Industrial Revolution. And that was, let's break everything down to its smallest component parts to understand how it works. And that will help us navigate and control the world. You know what's interesting to me about that? That when you break anything that's been alive down to the smallest parts, number one, we keep discovering through quantum physics that we still have parts we don't understand. And we may never understand. But number two, here's the thing for me in all of this is if we break down a flower to the most basic component parts that we can, we cannot bring that flower back together and bring life back into it. And that's where the scientific method and the small sense of control, I think it's really the barrier because we live in a system, in a world where we're living, we're human. And our human connection and interconnectedness means that there's ways to create probabilities of what the future is, but we cannot predict what the future will be when you have humans involved. Yeah. But when you release it and you let go of that sense of control, what's on the other side is just brilliantly amazing and so much more than what any one person or group could ever imagine and create on their own.
1: And and, and thanks for sharing that. Wouldn't organizations be so much easier to run if we didn't have to deal with human beings?
0: Um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question uh, that because the- I'm so in love with working with the human beings. I think the people who are really in love with the mechanics of it would love that. Let's do the artificial intelligence, let's do you know, machine learning, and let's let the machines take off. But I think what a tragedy that would be because there's beauty and such blessings in the chaos that is humanity,
1: and if we could only embrace that, like beauty of chaos, <laughs> yeah. Okay, a that paradox. that wasn't a question, more of a I hopefully just a bit of a provocative statement to see that what the reaction would be, okay. and I, I got exactly what I what I expected. <laughs> so let's go to this these simple and practical tools and tips, and maybe they're not so simple. I don't know, but what would be three things? So you, you're talking to managers here potentially who are trapped in the world of the technical fix, the old way of doing things, the things that have got me to where I am. And, and and one of those things is I'm a great problem, like, you know, Mark's known as a great problem solver. Let's get Mark involved in this. But Mark seems to have got a bit stuck all of a sudden in the world and there are things that he can't, he can no longer get to where he needs to get to. Could be, this could be happening for anybody. Mark needs to start to reimagine what the world looks like. What would be three simple and practical tips you could give to me or to anybody on how we start to make the shift into opportunity creation thought processes rather than everything's a problem and I need to solve it?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Short of bringing me in to help guide Mark in that process, that would be, a first. I think, a first simple step. But not all not all organizations can do it, and and I can't be there for every organization. But number one is Mark. Start with imagining that best possible future state, and imagine as if it, as if it's real, and think of what it smells like, what it tastes like, what it sounds like, what music or notes you're hearing. I mean, like tap into what is it out there that you're feeling and sensing. And use that as your guiding star to navigate towards. And when you imagine it, make it visible somehow. Get out of your spreadsheet, get out of your computer, and make it visible somehow with imagery, with pictures, with words, that sort of thing. That's the first simple step. And that goes into appreciative inquiry again. And if you can, Mark, invite some others to join in with you and create that imagination to the future state. And then from there, you can reflect on where your current state is. And that allows you to create that map that I mentioned before with some milestones in the roadmap of how you start moving from current state to the future best state. And really dive into people's, the resources of people, meaning their talents, their gifts, and their abilities. So not so much the technical skills, but what are some of the inherent gifts and abilities that allow you to get there? And just simply by doing this, by engaging with this idea of the imagining, your resonance starts to shift, your vibration starts to shift. And like I said, you just start to get compelled there. That would be simple step number one. Number two is coalition building. Break out of your silo to gain your information. Ask who else is experiencing the similar challenges, delays, unintended consequences, vicious cycles, and who's desiring something different. So start to build that coalition. And from that coalition, you can start to make patterns and data visible. You can map some of the patterns and behaviors and where things go. And you can start using some tools and techniques such as graphic recording, world cafe, dot voting, connecting the maps using systems thinking, mapping, whiteboards to do that. And this starts to create an amplification effect. You start to grow and build your coalition. And 1% or 1 degree of change can become that tipping point. They don't need a huge group. So boiling water turns into steam, 1 degree from 99 degrees centigrade or 211 degrees Fahrenheit. You go up 1 degree, you get, and look at all the things that were created in the world through STEAM. So you just need one degree of change. And then the last one is focus on the analogous. This goes into design thinking. So where else does this situation play out? Where else does this future state exist? Gives you a chance to shift your perspective like that kaleidoscope and helps you start to pull abstract ideas or constructs into concrete form. And so I think that's one of the brilliant things in design thinking of really going out there and looking for the analogous situations that could apply. It gets you out of the one-size-fits-all solutions as well, because that's another huge danger, that technical fix approach, is that, well, it works as, you know, Toyota. So we'll just apply exactly what Toyota does to our process of building things, and it'll work magic. It doesn't. You have to change it based on the context of where you are. And that allows you to start seeing with the wisdom is in your system and allows the wisdom to start to be seen. So those are the three tips for being that probiotic and creating that beneficial property in the organization by looking at the opportunity and how you can create that
1: opportunity. Amazing shares, Ray. Thank you. A couple of things that really stuck out for me uh, Imagining that best possible state, we seem to, because we've got, I say we've got two filing cabinets in our head, 70% of our thoughts are negative, 30% are supposedly positive. This bad news filing cabinet, we just continue to pull pieces of paper out of that one and go, but but this, but this, but this. And we should go to that other one and go, but look what's over here. Look at the magic that if we just imagine this a little bit more. And, And then the other thing you said, which I loved, was that that 1%, Of change and how you know that boiling water turns into steam at at that one degree is sometimes with this type of work where we think that we have to literally throw everything out or totally change things, and and I think that's what creates a level of overwhelm for human beings is that these problems become so big that they overwhelm us, and then in the end we go well let's look at what they did at toyota then and let's try and replicate that and and we get we get caught in this bloody cycle that that goes on so they i reckon as you would have been sharing those things the listeners will be like yeah i've i've lived in some of those worlds that that you've described what i want to suggest to them now is get out of those worlds and get into this new space of doing things a bit different building those uh, coalitions so Now I'm really, this is where I'm going to get scared because um, I was was trying to avoid this conversation, but um, simply practically human, I do have the view of the world that, and maybe my view is too simple, that we overcomplicate things. We look for complex, we look for hard and difficult because there's a whole lot of reasons one might be that it makes us look smarter than what we are, but you have a bit of a different view on this, and this is what I love on this podcast is that there are no one's absolutely right, and we're, we're not going to try and convince each other of our rightness, but what's your view about um, why humans do or don't get romance to the flame of complexity?
0: Yeah, I've loved this question. I've loved listening to all the various different perspectives and ideas that your other guests have shared, and I've really taken it to heart. And um, my two cents before we get into it, do you mind if I ask you an inquiry question in, in
1: response? Now I mean, now I'm the heart rate. My heart rate just went up. But yes, you can ask me a question.
0: So, in my listening, I've noticed something. So I'm curious. Have you noticed how you and your guests change the word from complex to complicated inherently, based on the context or the relationship behaviors that you're experiencing or discussing on whatever those entities
1: are. I haven't noticed that, but I'll go back and have a listen. I'm sure that we – so we're changing the language in some respects to suit the argument, do you think?
0: You are. You are. And that's one of the beauties of this question, and it's inherent. You're not even aware of it. Mark, you'll change from complex to complicated, and most of your guests, 90% of your guests so far, will actually change to complicated versus complex. Mm. And so I, I think there's kind of a core kernel there, and that's for of the challenge that I said I was going to kind of bring to the table, a gentle challenge, nothing, nothing fierce. So when I've been thinking about this, my Organizational Development Leadership Master's Program was founded in systems thinking methodologies and processes. And so when we go into systems thinking, We're looking at a set of things working together as mechanisms or interconnected networks. And our world is nothing but interconnected networks and systems. And when you go into this process, the definition for simple in systems thinking is a well-defined relationship between events and resulting actions. So context is quickly connected, but it can shift based on the relationship. So I have a pen in my hand. Gravity will pull the pen down if I drop it. Very well-defined relationship. I can predict this. If I have a tire on my car that's flat, I need to check to see if there's air that will, you know, go into it before it's safe to drive. Complicated. It's where systems have several well-defined relationships between cause and effect. So now there's multiple causes and effects. And we can generally predict those outcomes. So back to my troubleshooting of the car. I recently have been doing a lot of that. The car wouldn't start. So is the battery working? Is the alternator working? Is, you know, is the starter working? What else could be possibly going on? Do the troubleshooting. We can find out the coil blew, so we needed to replace the coil on the car. So predictable, complicated got a lot of stuff in our world that's complicated, mechanized. Complexity is where we move up to the exact relationship between entities are neither known or are possibly unknowable. General predictions can be made, but not exact predictions. We are now entering into living systems and complexity. And the human element and the social system start to interact in this space. And so if we're thinking about the car analogy. We now have the testing going on for automatic driving of cars. And it keeps happening and disastrous things keep happening out there because we now have a human interacting inside of this mechanical complicated system. And we cannot predict how humans are going to interact. Yeah. So I think when you're asking the question, the context of the relationship of what you're talking about about your entities with your guests is where we get, you know, switching into, is it complicated or is it complex? Yeah. So in complexity, all things are interrelated in the system and changing a part in the system affects the entire system. And really also when you're looking at complexity in the system is that, the sum of the parts are greater than the whole, mm. always. Yep. And the behaviors and outcomes that are exhibited and that emerge are unpredictable. And so that's where there's that difference. And that's where we get into, I think, again, that scientific method. And complicated is where we feel like we have a sense of control and we can predict and we can force the outcomes we desire that we want. And I think that's where we get seduced into that complicated space. But that's where we're also seduced into, as you said, and where I was also going to go, is that we go into the technical solution world. But if you're in human systems or a living system, you have to go into the adaptive challenge. Yes. And a technical solution never works. And that's where the romance starts to
1: create problems. I like it. And um, how dare I start to change the use of words to suit myself? (laughs) I should never do that. (laughs) I, (laughs) I love it.
0: I think it's lovely because that's part of our world is what do words mean to us? And we don't often check, like, what's the word mean to you? What's Mm. the word mean to me? And we make assumptions that we're all basing, you know, the same kind of status quo on words. And that in itself can be where we can come up with a lot of our challenges in our human system. If we would just check to see what we mean by words, we could alleviate
1: a lot of stress uh, out the world. I love that. Checking <laughs> checking for um, context and understanding, I think, is really, really yeah. critical. But, it's, yeah. but we're too busy moving forward with solving the problem because we need to solve it yesterday. And we might miss some context. But also, I know what we will miss here, Ray, we'll miss some really important voices in a room.
0: We'll miss that. We'll miss the relationships. We get so wound up in the task or the process that we miss the relationship. And the interesting thing is, is I've been in so many places where it's that like, we just need to pound this out. We need to just get it out there. Do this, get this fixed. you know, flavor of the month. Yet the company laments over and over and over again, millions of dollars they waste on these efforts. And then the delayed response and the unintended consequences from those fast lacking of kind of deep analysis processes actually end up costing the company far more in fixes down the road, as well as the money that they put into the payroll of the people doing the work in the first place. Yep. And they don't often calculate the cost of the payroll in that formula. And so it's another vicious cycle, which is interesting because if we just slow down at the beginning and spend some time doing the analysis and imagining where we could go, and then create like where are we currently at and how would we do the steps and what are our resources? you spend actually half as much time in that space as you do in actually launching the initiative, the initiative actually speeds you up and you actually launch faster than yep. you would imagine. And I've done exercises with groups where I've played with that, where I've made them spend, say in two hours, I've made them spend a good hour and 15 minutes on just the analysis and the imagining what the outcome could be and they get super antsy because they want to just get into tasks they want to get into tasks but they can do the task in 25 minutes in the two hours that they have in total yep um but if i've let them play before they spend two hours and they get nowhere
1: yeah i like that idea of payroll as well and you see the amount of meetings that It's coming to mind for me, the amount of meetings that people would sit in to do this. And, you know, they have a two-hour meeting with 20 people in the room. It's 40 hours. It's not two hours. And this is where I think we get a bit lost as well.
0: Exactly. And it's where the immunity to change really starts to come into play too. Is The resistance starts
1: to build up because the morale is shot over and over and over again. Yeah, and there's another great uh, framework, immunity to change. I know we've talked a little bit about that before. That that might be for another, uh, another episode as well. There's so <laughs> many things coming up today. Hey, let's finish off with, for those who are now really fascinated about how do I find out more about Ray? Where do people go to find out about the brilliant work that you do and, and all of that sort of what have made you become what you are and, 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 and the thought processes that go on in, in that mind of yours. Where do we find you?
0: First place you can find me easily is on LinkedIn at Ray May. And then coming very soon, I had to put it on pause with the COVID pandemic outbreak that I was launching my own business where I'm offering services to actually help be this guide in different ways for systems, the collective collaboration, co-creation kind of work. So rayofhopeco.com. So I'll be launching that website and starting to be able to offer some of my services again now that we're opening up from the pandemic. So hopefully by the time this podcast goes live, I'll have at least the first phones back up and running of that website.
1: Magnificent. So either LinkedIn or Ray of Hope yes. Co.
0: Ray of Hope Co. Because my my business is Ray of Hope Collective and my focus is on all those things co co co-creation, collaboration, co that sort of thing.
1: So we've gone everywhere today from probiotics to viruses to problems to opportunities to complicated, complex, simple, and you've you've provided us with so many things to think about, your three simple and practical tools and tips to help people shift their mind away from getting stuck in the problem to what might be something they can imagine at the end that is much better for the organization and for themselves. Ray, thanks for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast.
0: Thank you, Mark, for the honor to be here. I appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure as well.
1: I did mention during the podcast that I had goosebumps when Ray was sharing with us her backstory and, you know, born into violence and homeless three times, laid off four times, and, you know, as she was sharing those stories, you know, her first job at 11 and becoming self-sufficient at 16. And um, just incredible when you take the time to understand a human being more, you get to really get that sense of why they've turned out the way they have and why they're so interested in helping others to perhaps make the progress that they didn't think that was imaginable. Her story about role modelling and, you know, the role model and and having a a teacher from grade three to grade eight really helping her to to become the human being that she is today. And I'm sure many of you who are listening to this or listen to the podcast, uh, that would resonate really strongly with you. The probiotic and the virus, listening to somebody else who saw Ray in a very, very different light, which has helped her to understand the value that she can bring to organizations, even when change is being called for, but also resisted by the same very humans in the organization and why that happens. Imagining the best possible outcome rather than just sitting there and trying to look at it as a problem and, you know, what did we do last time? How do we technically fix this? I think... um, imagining with the end in sight, the future state, seeing it visibly was another great point point. and getting out of your spreadsheets uh, really resonated with me. Building coalitions, this one comes up a lot in this podcast is getting around the people who get you out of your siloed mentality. I think it's a really important thing. And her conversation around complicated versus complexity and how she explained that really helped me to understand that Without even knowing, I'd been changing words to suit myself in the podcast. So, so many great things came out of today. If you liked it, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.